Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 11. I'm Jeff Blair. I'm Matt Hackett. This week we're talking about our trip to GDC. GDC. Uh, we're also going to talk about a couple updates on the games we're making. Yep, two games. Two games. And we're also going to answer some reader questions. Uh, so we went to Game Developers Conference. It is a yearly conference in San Francisco. It's always in March, and it's always awesome. There was 22,500 developers went this year. Yeah, it was pretty busy. Very busy. We had a lot of fun, though. So Tuesday we were at the Pokey Talk. Uh, because we had entered their one-up contest and we won third place, so they graciously allowed us to participate in that, even though we only had expo passes. We did. They had to kind of sneak us in. We entered the uh, the panel room uh, through a back door. Yeah, it was like a little crawl space. Yeah, <laughs> I got spider webs. In and then my they face. had to lower us from the ceiling <laughs> onto the chair. <laughs> no, that was really cool. They had so they had this talk with these three panelists from like uh, what was it? Like Kabam, EA, and... Digital Chocolate. Digital Chocolate. Or no, it wasn't Kabam. It was... It was Kabam. Oh. So uh, that was pretty cool. And then they announced the winners, and they started with us. That was fun, because we were in last place. The last winner. <laughs> last place. of the winners. Last of the winners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> least least winnerish. But the other two winners were... Uh, they were great. We met them, and they had great games. So um, the winner was a game called Four Horsemen. Uh, it was a really nicely polished game, and this guy did all the art and graphics and music himself, which is quite a feat. Really impressive dude, and he's also an amazing marketer. He had this um, horse helmet thingy, like a horse head he would walk around with and put on and take pictures. Well, now you have to post a picture of the horse head. At I, I did. I posted it on the last blog. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Because, I mean, this, I guess this is slightly redundant, but we we did have an article talking about Pokey in their contest. That's true. This is just a wrap-up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should talk more about that though. Yeah, like like the experience of uh, of getting it onto the uh, onto the Pocky's platform is pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, it was really easy. It didn't take us very long at all. Yeah, I think it took us about an hour. That was great. And so we had lunch and dinner with the Pokey team, and they're all really cool guys um, and gals. Yeah, th- so they come with uh, like like their their pedigree. They come from uh, DivX. Yeah, some of the founders come from DivX. Yeah, so they that was kind of a um, tech like a disruptive technology from a while ago. You know. Yeah, I totally remember DivX. Yeah, yeah. These days, I just use VLC for everything. It plays. VLC is awesome. Uh, you can give it a TXT file, and it'll find a way to make a movie out of it. It'll play whatever you give it. It's crazy. That's awesome. So what I really liked about Pokey was they're very developer-centric. I had several members of their team walk up to me and just be like, hey, we want you to know that we're very developer-friendly, and we want to do whatever we can to help you. So just tell us what you need. Can we like set you up? Uh, in a meeting with like some of our connections or can we you know provide you with, with this or that promotion like really amazing yeah it was really good stuff and um a bunch of smart people and it's interesting that you know pokey seems just like kind of like the first step in kind of a broader strategy of appealing to developers yeah so they've uh they've got all these plans for creating this like gigantic community developers and stuff and pokey is just like the like they've just dipped their toes in you know they're going to be bringing it to Mac later this year, which, like... That'd be great for us. Well, in order for it to be, like, realistically, in order for it to be part of our development, like, life cycles, like, we develop on Macs. And any time that we need to go over to Windows, it's always uh, a burden, you know? Like, I'm basically we, not going to do it. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Like, uh, so one of the Pokey guys, I think it was Corey, was was um, at replying us on Twitter a lot. He was like, hey, you should, you know, submit Onslaught to... Uh, to the pokey one-up contest and all this and like he had to stay honest because we kept like i remember we would be like oh yeah it's on windows fuck okay let's go do that and uh, we kept dragging our feet you know and then yeah he kept on us and, and we did it and i'm so glad that we did you know 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's hard, too, when we have so many things going on now that we're indie. Like, we're balancing a lot of plates. Yes. We also met a bunch of other cool developers at GDC. Uh, we met with the guys from Play Canvas. Pretty cool guys from the UK. They had a really cool demo. I'll put up uh, a link to their site. I don't know if you can get access to this particular demo. Actually, there's a bunch that they showed us, but they've got really cool stuff where you can, like, um, so you can edit a 3D object in Blender, and, and I forget how they did it exactly, but it was, like, integrated with the UI. You can really easily, like, export that just with one click to your live uh, WebGL application running in your browser. Right. So that was really cool tech. And they also have, like, a hosting solution, so you can, like, deploy it to their cloud, send a link around for other people to test it or, you know, publish it for real. Yeah. They were talking about how um, they seemed like that they're one of very few in that market. I, I do agree with that. Um, there's uh, the only others I can think of, and we talked briefly about this, but it was like Pixie Engine, although th that's Daniel Moore's thing, but that is CoffeeScript, so it's not uh, as catered to someone coming from the JavaScript and like web world, maybe. And Construct, too, from Sphere. Oh, yeah. So does Construct 2 host your stuff? I believe they do, yeah. Okay. So they have a site that's kind of like, I mean, I would say it's kind of like a congregate, right, mm. where you build the games. Well, just in the sense of, like, display, like, you know, there's a star rating and there's, like, a popular list and you can comment on games and they host them. So. Yeah. I'm not sure if Play Canvas has that stuff planned or not. I think they do, at least from the stuff they're showing us. Right. It looks very similar. Yeah. So interesting stuff there. Mm-hmm. Man, very another very cool team um, from the UK. Yeah, I feel like there's all this awesome stuff um, coming out of the UK. So and there's another a group of guys we're working with uh, called Bettable, mm -hmm. and so they run uh, a gambling platform, and it's kind of like they allow you to set up different games of chance right now, uh, and use their API to basically let players wager real money on you know say a slot machine type mechanic. Yeah, it's been really interesting talking to them because it's all this terminology that we're completely unaccustomed to and we don't know about. Like, like what were some of those things that came up that was all like very gambling centric and like like outcome sets and yeah, probability table and and all this stuff and like you know game of skill, game of chance. Like I know what that means on the surface, but when when you get down into it, there's all these numbers behind. Like you can't put this or that into a game of skill because this or that happens. Like I mean. It's interesting because video games are very, very new when you look at how long like humanity has been around, right? But gambling is really old. So you've got these people with all this deep, deep knowledge and experience about what goes into it and what comes out of it, you know? Right. And they seem like they've got a really intelligent approach to that stuff. They've, like, they've thought out their API and they're paying close attention to usability, which that's like my girlfriend's a user researcher. So like that kind of stuff is really uh noticeable to me now I, I can tell when someone doesn't care about usability at all and like you use their products and you're just like uh this is hard right yeah versus people who like will get people and sit them down and be like tell us your thoughts try to do this task like was that easy what would you expect to happen that kind of stuff and i really like that yeah and they've uh, they've got a good, good approach in that they're really focused on protecting the end user and also protecting the developer right you know so they're focused on not letting you do things that are gonna like you know, hose yourself mathematically. Yeah. And same thing on the user end. Right. Yeah. Because you could easily, as a developer, you tweak one number in the gambling world. You know, you're like, oh, let me just put a period here. Okay, let's commit that and see what happens. It's like, oh, you're out of money. I'm like, yeah. your, your user's emptied your account. 
there's all this interesting stuff that we would have to uh, deal with. Um, like, so if we start working with their API, I, I don't know how we would work it out that like American players could play our game. So I think that that would actually be pretty easy because they have to be a bettable user in order to wager real money and deposit money to their account and things like that. And so you basically just put the bettable login prompt at the beginning of your game. And so they could be it could be accessed by people from the United States, but they wouldn't be able to complete the bettable login. Oh, I see. So they would just play your game without the gambling aspect. Well, it depends how you structure it, right? So mm-hmm. if you structure your game such that you only need to authenticate or you structure it such that you don't require right, right. the bettable integration. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that uh, what we would be dealing with would be technically illegal in the country that we live in. Yeah. I find that fascinating. It's so stupid, too. I hate those kinds of laws. But Yeah, I, li- I loved it. There was actually a uh, casino boat. I grew up in Illinois, and gambling was illegal everywhere. But you could go to, I think it was like the St. Louis area, there was this casino boat, which was like 20 feet off of the riverbank. And it was in like the shallowest water ever. But it was technically a boat. And that's why you could gamble there is because it wasn't on land. Like the law only applies to the land. And I was like, (laughs) does that mean I can jump in the air and punch you? And I can be like, my feet were in the air when I hit you. Well, it's probably like international waters or something. So the U.S. border probably only extends, like, so far into the ocean. It, it was the Mississippi. Oh, it's a river. That's right. Yeah. Well, I have no idea then. It's so fucked up. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it's like okay, what are you doing on your phone there? And you're like, well, I'm playing my new gambling game that's using the Bettable API, right? <laughs> and they're like, you can't do that. And you're like, well, I'm going to get on a boat. I want a boat, motherfucker. And then, you, then you're free to do it, right? Or go to an Indian reservation. What? I grew up in San Diego. There's all all these Indian reservations down there. There's like Barona Casino and like oh, a couple yeah. other ones. But basically, like I could drive 20, 25 miles outside of North County, San Diego and go slots, gamble, poker, whatever. Right. Isn't that the same kind of thing where like prostitution is legal in Nevada, but not in Las Vegas? Yeah. You have to go like some amount of miles out of town or something. It's a little weird. Cross yeah. this line, under arrest. Cross this line. It's cool, man. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> Anyways. Maybe we'll uh, we'll start working with their API and we'll have, like the feds kick our door down. That would make, make an awesome blog post. That really would. That'd make our lives so much more exciting. As much <laughs> as I would be disturbed that day, I'd later be like, Wow, the most exciting thing happened to me today. I've been programming for like ten years and my life is so boring. <laughs> but then then the FBI kicked my door down and I blogged about it. I think we'll cut that part. <laughs> So we got two new games in the works. Uh, the first one, uh, we've, we've kind of been um, splitting our time in these games. Like right now, I'm on, the only one working on my game. And you're the only one working on your game. I mean, usually we have a lot more overlap. overlap uh, but So this is kind of a weird thing for us. Yeah, it is. But I don't know. It's interesting to try to work on concurrent projects. Yeah, because we are kind of, our current model is a little more biased towards quantity. I almost feel like we could just pump out really kind of awful games and make more money right now than we would if we put out a handful of pretty good games, you know? It depends. I mean, it's the risk. You know, we're, we're trying to not put all of our eggs in one game basket. Right. Right, so what we're not doing is not spending a lot of time trying to make a hit game and then have the, our success ride on that. Because we're able to license these games, if we have, like, 10 or something, that would cast, like, a bigger net, for one. We would be able to get in more money that way. Yeah, so we're not betting as hard on the one thing. Because like, we could put our next three months of work into one game, but if we did, and that game was not a success, we would basically be SOL. Yeah. 
So that's kind of our approach. So my game uh, I'm calling Lava Sword, and my inspiration for it was, uh, hey, can I make a like a mobile modern version of some of my favorite arcade games like Golden Axe, uh, Streets of Rage, I mean, less on the theme on that one, but you know, like those brawler games, like an arcade game where you're like, punch, punch, jump, punch, like that kind of stuff. Um, and it's very like, you're just going through this level, beating up bad guys and stuff. And so you recently changed all the art over. I did. So I, uh, I'm not really an artist. I'm just doing this to make games, you know? And like, I feel like that worked really well with Onslaught because it's pixelated stuff. It's like what I've been staring at for the last 20 years of my life and various games, you know, like Dragon Warrior and stuff, you know? And then uh, I feel like that worked pretty well. But then with, I, f- I felt like with, uh, with Lava Sword, it needed bigger characters. Yeah, yeah. It's also this is like basically the graphics I was putting together looked a lot like the Golden Axe games and stuff, just, just way shittier. And like, I, I'm not all about that. It's like if I'm going to make a game that has things in common with other games, uh, I, I want to put forward a, like a version that I would feel good enough about you know, to, to live in the same arena as those, or else I feel, I would feel like that was a failure, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then, so, like, on that same vein is, is doing a new art style might also kind of breathe new life into that type of game, because, like, all the games that I am thinking of when I'm making this game, um, you like Magic Sword is another one, all those kind of graphics, they're they're very pixelated, and they're very kind of, they, they lean more towards realistic looking. So I was thinking if there was, like, this light kind of vector-looking um, cartoon-based uh, graphics they, they they could for one be more accessible they could help our game spread to more users and it could breathe new life into the, the type of genre that it is so I don't know it just seemed like a natural flow like like a natural change of direction and it works really well because it, this is such a faster approach like like an order of magnitude faster I was able to redo all the graphics in a day with this new approach and that's really exciting because that means that I can put in like oh man I really want to get that enemy in like uh, I really wanted to do an owl bear I did them in like an hour. Versus the other approach where just the initial drawing, not even the animation or anything, took an hour. And I think didn't even look half as good. Mm-hmm. So this is such a big win. And it's like, <clears throat> it makes the difference between light and day as far as me getting able to, being able to finish the game in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, that's going to be key is actually getting stuff shipped. Yeah. So that's, that's actually on that same note. It's like w- when using pixel art, it makes a lot of sense to use Photoshop. I think it's an excellent tool. But then when using these more vector type graphics, it would have been a lot better to use Illustrator. But I am making them in Photoshop, which is just stupid. Photoshop's the wrong tool for graphics like this, you know? But I I had to physically restrain myself. I wanted to like open up Illustrator so bad and start learning it and reading articles and stuff. But like, I gotta shift this game, man. Like we got bills to pay. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't afford to, you know, spin my wheels. Like, yeah, a week later, I might be a whiz at Illustrator, but the game is still sitting there. Like. First things first, ship the game, you know, bring in some revenue and then like and then re- resharpen your tools and like hone your skills. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good approach. And it's so hard for me because that is not how I've been living my life. Like I've, for You're the like, longest time, I'm always, I've, I was just like, whatever I feel like doing, I'll do it. I'm completely random. I have no focus, you know? So it's like, it's it's a struggle. We keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, that's right. We need a montage of you not learning Illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, the most boring montage <laughs> You got that? Was it the eye of the tiger? Yeah. You got the eye of the tiger. But then you see me just sitting there, like eating pizza, and I'm sitting there typing, and I'm like checking the mail. I'm just like walking. I've got like my pajama pants on. I'm like, what? it's like me doing me not doing anything interesting. I'd watch it. So I'm working on a game called Lunchbug. Lunch. I love that name. Yeah, it's kind of fun, and it's um, it's a puzzle game, and it's kind of like it's about 
using these ladybugs to eat flowers in a garden. And it's just kind of a really simple concept. What I did is I, I took a look at some mechanics from Othello, which is like about surrounding pieces that are either black or white with the opposite color, and then you kind of turn them into the black or white. And so I took that concept and added like a few more colors to it. And then those colors actually are like flowers or mushrooms or various different game pieces. So what you mean by that is you'll have like uh, white pieces and black pieces and then like red and green pieces that have kind of different meanings in the game. Yeah, just a little bit. It's a little hard to explain, I guess, but it's kind of like that same mechanic of capturing. When you explained it to me, I just completely zoned out. I was like, blah, blah, blah. I don't understand. But then you gave me the game and I played it and I, I quickly got the hang of it. Yeah, it's it's a pretty simple concept once you play it. So, so what is the theme again? The theme is like uh, you're growing flowers or plants and mushrooms in like a uh-huh. garden area and then you're uh-huh. eating them with ladybugs okay why didn't you go with fairy time princess <laughs> you big girl because i want to branch out into a more accessible puzzle game it's gotta break your balls <laughs> it can't always be swords and dragons matt well i just wanted to say that my game is about an awesome barbarian with a sword made of lava and That's your game's true. about fucking ladybugs and flowers i'll be over here being awesome <laughs> and you you go over there and make your money well we'll see it's an experiment it's kind of interesting because it's clearly not a game that i would choose to play myself but i feel like with a flip of the switch you would like it might like so the original version when i prototyped it i was using like soldiers and, and i was actually using dragons <laughs> so i prototyped it it was like instead of flowers it was like like squires knights armies and then um dragons and then you would like roast the knights with the dragons and score points that way yeah i remember i was talking about that and it seemed really cool is like okay you can you match squires with squires to turn whatever is in between them to squires and then you can match knights to turn the upgrade the squires to knights right right and then you use the dragons to kill the knights and like at that point we were like this is cool this is wait why are the dragons killing the knights and we're like well couldn't really figure that out like it seems like there might be a way where it's like knights versus dragons but you're kind of that would be like cooperative gameplay almost and that would be weird yeah well it's kind of cooperative either way this just felt like a more natural theme. Yeah. It's like now it just feels great. It's like you're growing plants and then you're feeding them to ladybugs. Well, I'm trying to go for like a very like tranquil, you know, there's like nice like kind of music in the background that makes you feel at ease. And you're just like do 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 do. So if Joshua Morse listens to the uh, the podcast, he should uh, begin at this point to take notes and, <laughs> yes. and get the, the creative direction for the music. Exactly. This is how we're going to communicate with Josh from now on. <laughs> he like messaged me on IM. He's like, Hey man, uh, when when you need the music for this puzzle game, and I'm like, well, obviously you know because you listened to Lost Cast episode 11, and he's like, blank stare, like I don't know how you convey that, and I am, but he's like, what? He's like, I don't want to listen to you guys babble for an hour. <laughs> like, oh. Anyways, it's fun. It's kind of an experiment. I'd actually like to do a couple themes with it. I would really love to do the medieval theme just because like that's totally up our alley. It is. But I also want to try a different theme too. Sounds fun. Yeah. So those games, like, we're our goal is to be done in the next like like weeks not months you know yeah. like like <clears throat> we have a lot going on right now but two weeks tops like for both games perhaps yeah it's pretty optimistic well we'll see it depends we have a lot of other stuff happening so yeah soon though now it's time for listener questions <laughs> maybe it shouldn't sound so ominous though what if it was like listener questions do 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 Oh, yeah, a little uh, theme music in there. Oh, that's another thing we got bug Josh Morris for. He said he'd give us a Lost Cast theme. Really? Pa-ching! Ooh, that sounds awesome. It does. So, first, uh, thank you very much to Joseph Huckabee. 
sent us some very great feedback with a lot of uh, questions and ideas for stuff to talk about on the podcast. And I think we took a look through the list and we're interested in talking about pretty much all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, the questions are funny because we'll get them. And especially with like a really super long email like this, I'm always like, oh, God, I only have two seconds. I'm not reading all this right now, you know. But you, you when you get the questions, you're like, ooh, questions. <laughs> And you're like, uh, I, I know the way that, that you handle these too is you'll get like, you'll read like half the question and you immediately start answering it in your mind. You're like, hmm, yes, I would say this or I would say that. Yeah. That's funny. So he's, a, he's nicely categorized the questions into various buckets. So let's start with the rendering and graphics questions. Off so off-screen canvas, canvas buffering? buffering. So I guess there's kind of two ways to think about that. One is like, there's a, there's a traditional approach to game dev, I think, where you kind of write to a back buffer and then you flip it to the screen. Right, and so then you kind of reduce uh, screen tearing in certain cases. I don't think that really works uh, with HTML5, and it certainly hurts performance, as far as I can tell. You know, this comes up a lot, I feel, because of traditional game development. I remember having to deal with an off-screen buffer, like back in the day when I was reading computer programming books by Andre Lamoth. Those kind of things, if you, you could draw pixels straight to the screen, but if you did, you would often see flickering. Mm -hmm. And if you use an off-screen buffer, then it would draw all the pixels at once. Right. And it made a lot of sense there, but I feel like most of the time when dealing with JavaScript and, and Canvas, you are writing on top of technologies that kind of take care of that for you with regards to when to buffer all of your Canvas over, right? Right. So there's actually a lot of uses for off-screen buffers, like tile maps, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, what you want to do is you want to have a buffer uh, of your tile map somewhere off-screen so you can composite those layers you know, if you have like a tile map that has X layers with, you know, various pieces of map data on them, you know, you want to kind of draw as many of those as you can to one buffer and then keep that buffer around when the map scrolls in different ways so that you're not like drawing each tile, each frame. Right. Um, you actually did a lot of work on that with uh, one of our last games before we went indie. Yeah. So I really enjoy that stuff. I love writing tile. Yeah. Engines. yeah, and then you can also use it for things like uh, canvas composite operations, drawing a overlay color or something like that, or like resizing images on the fly. Yeah, we use that in Onslaught Arena. We actually uh, wrote about that on html5rocks.com. We had a little section on uh, compositing. It's really cool. Yeah, cool We're, effects. Yeah, It's often a performance penalty, but... That'll start to be more worth it as the platform matures. So his next question is, do you use or see the need for get image data and put image data? Maybe. I mean, I haven't done a lot of stuff with it personally, but I can see it being used for like filter type effects, right? Where you need to take each piece of image data and apply some effect to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds really fucking slow. So Yeah, it's pretty slow. I've seen some post uh, effects, like after effects type stuff, like blurring. I've seen that working. It's pretty cool. And then there's uh, like a Worms Armageddon type game where you want destructible landscape. Mm -hmm. One way to do that would be to use get image data and find out where the pixels are and then update the image and you would be using get and put image data for that. One thing that's really cool is taking screenshots in, of a canvas game. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's really easy to do. And like the use case would be maybe you take a screenshot and then, you know, put that screenshot on Twitter or something. Send it to a friend. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Upload like, it to a server. Here's my high score. Yeah, yeah. Screenshot. So they're useful, but... Only in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. So the next question is, in Onslaught, are you redrawing everything over and over every frame, including all the background sprites, whether they have moved or not? And so the answer is yes. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of just the basic approach, right? Like you, every frame, you redraw the background, then you redraw everything else and 
ZNX order. That works great in Chrome and other places where it can render really, really fast, but in other cases, it's going to be really, really slow. So it would be much more optimal to do something like dirty rectangles, uh, where you're basically keeping track of where things have moved, or if anything has moved, and redraw the, the screen appropriately. That's a lot more work and a lot more calculation, though. We have not even done that in the engine that we use to make Onslaught Defense. Like, that's an optimization step, I feel. Like, ideally, we would have something like Dirty Rex, where it's only redrawing pixels it needs to. But we didn't even do it there, and the game runs fairly well. I feel like with a native wrapper or with hardware acceleration, it wouldn't even be a problem anymore. Well, with hardware acceleration, I think it would be fine. So, I mean, it's definitely a nice optimization technique, but it is not completely trivial to implement. No, it's it's really hard to implement and it has like potentially uh bug causing problems you know like it's it's so fundamental to the way that you're rendering your graphics right and there's so many edge cases you're not going to think of like oh what if it's rotated and scaled yeah around a custom origin all the z sorting and um translucencies and right all that crazy and overlapping sprites like from you know different you know different game objects maybe overlapping or not I feel like we're not going to implement Dirty Rex into our toolset until we have no choice. That's yeah. the only reason that we would do it. I think so. I think it's, you know, we had to be up against some wall where we needed the performance and there's nothing else we could do. Yeah. Uh, are there any places on the web where I can buy pre-made professional game art assets? That's more of a general game question, but it's pretty important. We know a lot of developers who don't really have any kind of an art pipeline. Definitely for your music and sound effects, you should go to Josh Moore's. <laughs> And then uh, we're actually yes. having to bump up against this problem ourselves quite a bit recently. Like, um, I think luckily we've we've got a few contacts from uh, Game Culture who, who know some freelance artists, um, but we haven't really branched out yet doing that ourselves. Yeah, that's kind of a. I mean, we're just trying to survive right now, so spending a bunch of money on art is not something we're prepared to do. Yeah. Although oh, we're going to have to do it at some point. so It would be so great if, if we knew like a, just a fantastic, amazing artist, like like a graphical equivalent of Joshua Morse, who could just oh, yeah. like, tackle almost any style and just work so fast and clearly has a lot of passion about what he or she does, you know? Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. So? Uh, so, no, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. let, let us know if you find out. <laughs> <laughs> so HTML5 Audio is one of my... Uh, favorite things to play with. That's true. You love playing with all the audio stuff. I do. So Joe shares our frustration with HTML5 audio. Uh, he's asking if we're c- consider extending audio to support more browsers like Firefox and IE910. So no, because I am at the point in my development life where I can right now, I can afford to only target WebKit, so I'm going to. I might come across a point where I have to start worrying more about Gecko and Internet Explorer 10 or something like that. But in the meantime, I don't like working on platform-specific stuff. And WebKit just lives in all the places that are relevant to me. There's my development environment, which is Chrome. There's WebKit on Chrome and native web views and mobile Safari and mobile browser. Like, everywhere that I need it to be, it's WebKit. So Firefox has its own implementation um, it's not the web audio API. It's the, is it the web data API or something? I don't even know. They've got the, their own thing that they rolled. Um, just Chrome and, um, Firefox have not been online there and I have not looked into internet Explorer. I don't know what the current status is of their 
like audio data API. But audio does fall back to the audio element. So theoretically, as long as all those browsers implement audio, you'll at least get something yeah. out of audio. Yep. So audio sprites do work. You can actually go and play Onslaught Defense on our servers right now. It's m.losttechaidgames.com. And you can hear audio sprites working. So uh, if you pull it up on an Android device, it loads up one audio sprite, which has like six different sound effects in it. It's pretty minimal, but it works really well. I think the only time we have we trigger sound effects is when you are pressing buttons or when you kill enemies and pick up items. Yeah, we're being very sparing with the sound effects. Yeah. You know, we're not like every single sword fire and every single sword hit doesn't trigger a sound. Right. Uh, because audio is still pretty crap, and especially in mobile browsers, so it would pretty much fall on its ass if we demanded too much of it. So, But you can get reliable sound out of using audio sprites on iOS. Yeah, so in iOS, you pretty much have to use audio sprites because it only allows one audio to be played at a time. And there's also this, is it won't load your audio until user is engaged input. So what we do is we have some code in place that kind of is platform-aware and it will serve the right code. And once the user hits the play button and onslaught defense, it loads up the audio, and then from that point on, it's just like the Android browser where it uses sprites, audio sheets. Right. So there's a really good article by Remy Sharp that talks about how audio sprites work. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. So uh, he said that, I heard that using WAV files instead of MP3s gets around most of the latency issues with HTML5 audio. Have you tried this? Nope. Nope, we have no idea. So I, I would argue this that getting past the latency issues is not as significant a problem as players being able to download your app and play it in a reasonable amount of time. I feel like a lot of people on a mobile connection don't want to download even the even one wave for that audio sprite would be pretty big because it's just raw data. Right. Uncompressed. I don't know. You you probably have like a 10 times saving so like, uh, what we're trying to say, like if you had a one meg MP3, you'd have a 10 meg wave or, or higher. And you, there's no way anyone's, anyone's going to play that on a mobile phone. Right. No one's going to download that on a mobile phone. Right. Um, so I don't know that I am kind of interested. It just doesn't seem practical. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I, even if the, even if the results were shocking, I don't think that we'd switch over just, just because of the, the pipe, like the, the memory requirements, you know? Yeah. But I'd be really interested to know if that was the case. And I would like, basically what that would do is. I feel like that could almost give us ammunition to be like, oh, hey, uh, Android, it, like waves work great in your browser, but MP3s suck. So clearly you guys already have the code <laughs> to make this work really well. Just fucking switch over the, use, use the wave code for the MP3 code, like the playing part that's fast. Right. How do you handle looping music in your games? I can't get tracks to loop without a noticeable pause slash blip at the end. So what... Audia does actually is it had to revert to a set timeout. Um, Seth Ladd from Google sent Audia to some of the Google um, Chrome engineers, and the feedback that they had was that set timeout is not ideal for a lot of reasons. And I completely agree there. But the problem is that, to my knowledge, maybe it's just because the Web Audio API is incomplete, like it is a working draft, even though there's a stable implementation. I don't think that there's been a time like a, a event listener. Or an event is not being exposed right now, to my knowledge, for when audio stops playing. So I think if you're messing with the web audio API, you kind of have to handle it yourself. And really the way you should be doing that is if you, like, you kind of have your own tick, I think is the way it should be. Because the web audio API is kind of like there's this timeline that you lay 
your sound data on top of. It's not as much like I want to play right now. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you can't. It can be used that way, but I don't think that was the intention. Um, with audio, uh, the implementations all over the map, but your average implementation supports. I think it's just dot loop equals true. Right. And I'm pretty sure that that's what we did for. If you go on a desktop browser and you go to m.losttickedgames.com and you play on slot defense, then we are just using several audio tags. And at that point, the background music has dot loop equals true, and it seems to work fine. There might be a blip, or uh, not a blip, but there might be a pause in between the stop and start. And the thing with that is, I, I almost don't even feel like at this point it's it's the fault of the browser, or or the fault of of the audio tag necessarily. It's just that we get back to that thing we've been talking about in this podcast for a while, where we're like, audio tag is just not meant for games, mm-hmm. not really. So if you if you it's if it's critical to you that there that you have seamless looping in your in your music, audio is just not going to deliver for you. You almost have to have some kind of like low level audio access at that point to like guarantee. You know what I mean? But like in, in onslaught defense, like if there's a quarter second between the song looping and that's it's not a deal breaker, you know? That's true. Have we heard of BXFXR? <laughs> BFXR. For making retro chip sounds so yes actually and I, I think we use a desktop version called cxfr yeah there's a there's a native mac version and we actually used so joshua morris provided us with the first like batch of sound effects for the original onslaught um submitted to the boing boing contest and then future sound effects from that point on we used uh cfxer yeah C- whatever it's called um, but i'll link to that in the show notes too yeah, it's pretty cool yeah, it's really great for just like creating some simple stuff. Uh, I have a hard time understanding what all the different levers do, so I really don't know what I'm doing. I kind of just move things around until I get something that I like. Yeah, that's there's a lot of different sound effects that we used that I, I think turned out really well. Like the wizards, they go like, woo, 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 like they make these sounds when they like phase in and phase out, teleport. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that turned out fine. Uh, do any of the CreateJS tools excite you for game dev? So I took a look at it a little bit. So it looks like it's actually a suite of tools uh, created by Grant Skinner, or at least partially by Grant Skinner, um, for creating JavaScript stuff, hmm. JavaScript games, applications. Okay. And so like if there's a, there's like a asset loading library and then like a tweening library. I feel like it's probably very Flash centric or Flash inspired. Hmm. But I don't have a lot of experience with it, and I haven't really tried it. So, man, you're getting to the point where you can almost type like somethingjs dot com or dot org, and you could like nodejs dot org, right? Yeah. Createjs dot com, soundjs dot com. Like you're already seeing these, uh, like, you know, quarter the language words. Are we gonna get to the point where it's like you're gonna have to start using uh, like misspellings, like Flickr, yeah. dig, dig with two G's, js dot com, like. <laughs> Web 4.0. It's the new TLD. That's right. So much tell I can. They should make a .js TLD. Don't they have custom TLDs now for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars? Oh wow! So yeah. like Google should like buy .js or something. Hmm. Give it back to the community. Probably. <laughs> That'd be nice. Too. I don't have a quarter of a million dollars. Do you use a tweening engine or write all your own custom animation control code? We write all of our. Own custom animation control code. Yep. So we have a tweening engine which we wrote. It's pretty basic, but we base it, it's integrated very heavily into our engine. Right. Uh, so basically, any kind of low-level game object in our engine can be tweened. Uh, almost any property can be tweened with a variety of tweening effects. 
So it almost looks like the the jQuery syntax where it's like, you know, you call on jQuery, I think it's you call dot animate and pass in an object literal of the keys that you want to change. Yeah. And then with our tweening engine, it's it's very similar, but we call dot tween and you pass in object literal and then some other stuff like callback and duration and easing library and crap like that. Yep. So that, it works really well. That's actually one of the things I'm most happy with with our engine. It's really nice. Yeah. It feels very polished. Um, so if you wanted to check out someone who, like we have an open source our tool set and I, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because it just would not be useful for anyone. It, it's in such a state. Like it's it's very us. Yeah. Like it's very... Uh, Tailored to exactly what we need. Yeah. Like it might be interesting for someone to look at just if, you know, if for some reason they wanted to know what other people are doing. Like, you know, not everybody wants to develop in a vacuum and I understand that, but like I, I almost feel like right now if we released it, it would just be really noisy it would and, be too much of a headache. Yeah. I mean, we're actively develop, developing on it, and, like, we're not really at the point where we want contributions or... Yeah. I, I think if we saw, like, we got to the point where there was, a, like, a month went by and we didn't see any major commits, we'd be like, okay, it's starting to be pretty stable. But, like, right now, it's, like, your average day has commits on it, so it doesn't make sense yet. So, next question is, are there any good libraries for doing in-app purchases in HTML5 games? You know, I, I meant to look at Chrome more closely. Not Chrome. Uh, Google Wallet. Because I know that you, like Google has a checkout service, like especially with like if you've got a an app on a, in the Chrome Web Store, you can do in-app purchases there. And I know that Google is really good about making APIs you can use anywhere. Like they were one of the first people I've seen to do a uh, like their Google Charts API. You can just throw in a URL and just throw Git bars at it, and it just dumps out an image. It's like they they know how to make an easy API, you know. So something that I'm really interested in is like payment platforms that use mobile payments so like like zong like zong yeah and so basically they would charge the user's cell phone account on behalf of you so yeah i'll I'll, we had all these meetings over gdc and that was like a recurring theme we heard that from at least like two different developers or platform platform providers where they were saying that like there's this cliff is like when you put up a paywall and, and it's like this form where, okay, insert your credit card number. Like, there's no, like, you're not going to make any money from that. You'll have, so, you have so few people left over who actually went through that strenuous process, right? Right. But if you can just pull up, like, um, I don't know what exactly that user interface looks like, but when you just throw up this interstitial and it's like, hey, can we tack on 99 cents under your phone bill? Like, I mean, you're going to be paying it anyway. Right. Like, that's so much easier. And it's the kind of thing where it's all wrapped up in this nice, like nicely presented kind of like in the app store where you just hit you know you hit install type in your password and you're done you know or like an android where you just hit download and you've got it it's it's it it's gets frictionless. yeah it's frictionless and it's uh that's pretty exciting for html5 games if, if that's going to be doable well especially since we're kind of focusing on the mobile web as well like right. as one of our priorities plus you know it'll just convert way better hopefully yeah the only bad thing is i've heard that um so the, the problem of going to the mobile the, going through the mobile providers is that they take a big slice. Like I've heard that the mobile provider will take like fifty percent. Really? Yeah. Hmm. But the you you keep so many more people who want to give you money because it's so much easier. So it turns out to be worth it. But then you're giving you're giving lots of money to a giant ISP. Whatever. Anyways, or not it's ISP, but mobile still provider. not something that we have figured out completely and. I don't even think the industry has figured out completely either. So right. it seems like you might want like a carrier 
billing solution for mobile and then maybe something different for desktop. Right. There's no clear winner. Yeah. Is Box 2D fast enough for HTML5 games, especially on mobile devices? I have no idea. I don't really have much experience with Box 2D. Um, I've been meaning to play with it one of these days. So maybe we'll integrate it into our, our engine and see. Yeah, it'd be pretty easy to integrate. Um, I feel like physics-based games, their fun factor is pretty tightly tied to the performance. Because like when you're playing... The, the de facto physics game right now is Angry Birds on mobile. And sometimes you'll see your bird like go bam and then it'll kind of like roll slowly away and then fall and go and then he gets that last thing where he knocks over one more building or something and like when you're getting down to that um that kind of granular movement and just all the stuff that makes physics fun kind of does need to be pretty responsive and, and pretty has have pretty good performance you know so I guess what I would suggest is just to avoid that for now. Because this time next year, this time two years down the road, like we're probably going to see some really amazing physics going on in the browser, and it's going to perform great. But right now, like we're trying to focus a little more on like puzzle games, stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just would avoid it for the time being. You know, put, put those physics game ideas you got on the shelf and kind of revisit when the tech picks up. There's also the idea of like the native wrappers. Yeah, yeah. And so while your physics will still be running inside JavaScript, you know, hopefully with the benefit of not having to draw the sprites, you'll have more overhead to do some physics computations. That's a good segue into the next question, which is, is Yay. Uh, game closure isn't available to the public yet. So what about PhoneGap, Titanium? Um, are these any good for turning HTML5 games into native apps? I don't have a lot of experience with PhoneGap. Uh, I've tried Titanium a little bit, and I wasn't always very happy with it it's probably gotten a lot better now but it used to be really slow um for games and i feel like it was kind of initially created for apps mm-hmm. you know like do this press this button yeah it's kind of like a web page more than a, a game i do feel like any offering that focuses more on games focuses more on performance so with someone like app moby or titanium where they're like yeah just make your app on our platform it's probably fine for a web app type thing or just like a simple simple app with a simple UI, you know? But it's only when you've got these um, wrappers and these providers like, like Kuhn.js is crazily performant. And like you can tell that they keep that on the f- forefront of what they want their tech to be, you know? But that's hard. I mean, we know firsthand that like making performant native web wrappers is tricky business. It is tricky. Yeah, but they got, so they got Onslaught Arena running at 200 frames per second. Oh, yeah. So we met with them over at GDC. Yeah. And that was a really impressive demo. They had this, uh, they had another demo where um, they had this screen was running in JavaScript. Like the application would just show the screen with all these meteors, kind of like asteroids going around the screen. And there was these plus and minus buttons. And you could just sit there and press, 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 press. And this dude was talking to me the whole time and he kept pressing the plus button and the FPS never dropped below 200. Hmm. It was really impressive. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like none of them are public yet except for. spaceport everybody else is private beta i mean you can contact game closure you can contact uh, lude about cocoon js and they're it seems like they've all got private betas yeah so there's a lot more questions uh, but we're going to save those for a future podcast in case we run out of things to talk about yes so thanks again for the great ideas and we'll certainly use more of them later so we mentioned in a prior episode that the onslaught original soundtrack is now on sale uh, on Bandcamp from joshua morse So we're going to play you out with another one of our favorite songs from Onslaught. Great. See you all next week.
Welcome to Lost. <laughs> 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 <laughs>